podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We all take on different roles every day. One minute you're a parent, the next a chef, or a driver. That's why the Volvo XC40 Recharge is designed to be as versatile as you are. It's fully electric and includes a 360-degree camera, Google built-in, and more. Contact your local retailer to learn more or visit volvocars.com US. The Volvo XC40 Recharge. For every you. Some equipment optional. Google is a trademark of Google LLC. Welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Pod three fifty three. It's our international break special. I'm going to be joined later on by a very, very special guest. The one and only Darren Ambrose is joining us this week. Palace legend, officially an eagle. Um, before we do that, let's introduce this week's guests. Um, they're both a bit sore from the marathon march at the weekend, but they're looking in uh, good spirits. It's Kevin Day and Andy Street. Kevin, hello. Hello there. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Uh, I'm fine. Now my left little toe is still slightly in need of amputating, but otherwise I'm fine. It was uh, that's all right. That's the, the further away we get from Saturday, the the more fun I had. <laughs> yeah, basically, it was um, it was a challenging route, wasn't it? There's a lot of uphill country stuff, and who knew that only three miles from Sellers Park there was massive fields with angry horses in. Uh, I particularly liked the bit where we stopped for. Uh, and shared a bottle of whiskey 20 miles in, in some forest somewhere or mm. other, when Julian and Chenery looked like two hobbits that had been rescued by three beautiful elves <laughs> and, needed, and needed whiskey to get us through the forest, basically. But it was fun and brilliantly. I mean, we've, the, the foundation have raised an awful lot of money, upwards of £60,000, which we weren't expecting in this difficult financial year. And I think we, as a pod, we had our best ever... Uh, total, which again we weren't expecting in these difficult financial times. So I want to say thank you on behalf of the the foundation and us to each and every person who donated, and also for keeping us going with your hilarious text <laughs> during the day, <laughs> commenting on the pictures that were being sent. We would have done it about an hour quicker if JD and Julian Chenery and they kept stopping for photo opportunities, basically. <laughs> Every time it's well, and also if we hadn't got lost yeah. as well, well, we uh, did we did twenty eight miles by mistake, but that's a, that's an error we won't we won't talk that's about. That's just how dedicated we are to the and march. We, well, look, we got, I'm we glad got you... overtaken by the bloke who was collecting the route markers as well, which didn't. Which didn't <laughs> <help>. <laughs> which, <laughs> so it wasn't really our fault. We got. Oh god, I've forgotten about that. Well, look, Kevin, I know obviously we're all feeling a bit sore, um, but uh, that actually means we've got the perfect sponsor for this week's pod because we're sponsored by Serenity Massage Therapy. Oh, thank do li- goodness! Do they do little toes? Quite possibly, quite possibly. Um, they are, of course, a leading palace-supporting massage clinic based in Red Hill, Rygate Borders in Surrey, 12 minutes from Croydon. If you're suffering with soft tissue pains due to lockdown posture, stress, or having walked 26.2 miles for charity, uh, perhaps, uh, Serenity Massage Therapy are ideal for you. Changing perception of massage through education while not breaking the bank. You'd MOT and service your car, so why not your body as well? Call or talk, text Russ at Serenity Massage Therapy on 07967 203 714 or email info at serenity services uk and quote FYP to get 25% off for your friends and family. Uh, Serenity Massage Therapy, making uh, the world a more comfortable place, one massage at a time. Um, Andy, how are you doing? Are you in need of a massage? Yeah, I, I, my, my health advice for the week is if you feel like you've got a mildly strained hamstring, don't walk 27 <laughs> miles on it. Good advice. Yeah. Have, you got, advice. Lockdown, yeah. have you got lockdown well, posture yeah. though? I think yeah. I probably have got lockdown posture. I've got all sorts of things going wrong. So I'm very much in need mm. of a serenity massage to open up my hamstrings, lower Ooh. back and hip flexor and other stuff. And do you know what as well? I th- that sounded really wrong. I'm impressed so far that Kevin hasn't made um, any um, less than salubrious jokes about serenity massage therapy, who actually Russ texted me and said he's expecting them. So, you know, this, this is going to finish in a perfectly normal way. There'll be no happy finish. <laughs> Just be a normal, pleasant, <laughs> calm finish. Um, and also, I don't want to waste all my massage jokes in one pod because I'm sure they'll be sponsoring us 
again, basically. <laughs> let's let's wait for Enders to come back before we get into the nineteen seventies humour. I find it easier when I've got I find it easier when I've got a companion in mischief. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um well lads, uh we should just say thank you to everyone that sponsored yes. us. We've raised £2,700 or something. People have been incredibly generous. Like or Tony Suckling gives us 250 quid recently. I mean, people have just been so, so generous. So thank you so much. We know it goes to a great cause. Um, and the, the uh, foundation appreciate it as much as we do. Um, can I do a drum roll quick shout out to a random patron? It's Mr. Tony hi, Phillips. Tony. Oh, hi, Tony. And you can join our Patreon, get all the rewards that it entails, post-match podcasts, Patreon-only merch, and access to the Patreon-only WhatsApp club at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast, just like Tony. Um, lads, we're going to go into the, the main interview now for this week, the main uh, content. Kevin, it's Darren Ambrose. What an interview this is. What an incredible guy. We've already, yes, well, you've already sort of given away the fact that we've done the interview before we've done the introduction to That's the interview. That's how pods work not... now. Everyone knows Also, that. it just occurs to me that he does mention somebody halfway through that would be perfect for my little toe. I should have taken him up on the offer. But in terms, <laughs> it's, um, it, there's something about that generation, that Hillsborough generation, that every time we've spoken to one of them, they have just been fantastic. Just articulate and passionate and caring about not just the club and its fans, but about that group of players. So it, it, it was a really interesting interview. It was up there with Sean Derry and Paddy McCarthy for me as, as one of the best interviews we've done on the pod for quite some time. And, and, and as Darren himself said, when we had to uh, end it, uh, he's got so much more to say. So, you know, and obviously he's a man who scored one of the best goals ever. So it's always a pleasure to be looking into the slightly terrified eyes of somebody who's scored one of the best goals ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Andy, we're lucky, aren't we, to get these players to come on and talk so so openly about that time at the club, and and, and Darren is no different to you know Paddy and Sean that we've had on before. Yeah, it's um, I, I completely agree. It's actually it's one of the best interviews that that we've done. Uh, usually, though, it's a good interview if I have to say nothing at all because the players so full of anecdotes, interesting stories, funny things, and I barely said anything. I just sat back and listened to. Darren's uh, various wisdom stories and so forth, and um, yeah, it was a, it was a special group of players. Uh, uh, sometimes difficult, but ultimately special time too, and which connected uniquely with the fans. And every time we have one of this group on, it's absolutely fantastic and evokes all sorts of um, special memories. And certainly, this one does too. Indeed. Um, my internet drops at halfway through, so we'll see what that's like in the edit. Um, so <laughs> apologies in advance if it's, if, if it's awful. Uh, but this is what happens on live uh, broadcasting. So anyway, let's dip in uh, to our interview this week for our international break special. It's the one and only Darren Ambrose. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the 5 Year Plan podcast. This week sponsored by Serenity Massage Therapy, making the world a more comfortable place, one massage at a time. Call or text Russ at Serenity Massage Therapy on 07967203714 or email info at serenity-services.co.uk. Quote FYP and get 25% off for friends and family. Um, now it's International Break podcast and we are absolutely delighted to be joined by a bona fide Palace legend. He played 124 times for the club, scoring 37 goals. Every single one of them a banger. Literally cannot remember any tap-ins, including some massive goals. That goal at Old Trafford and the goal that saved Palace as a club at Hillsborough. Please welcome to the podcast the one and only Darren Ambrose. Yay! Thank you. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be here. Um, I know, Jim, you've been chasing me for probably the last three years to come on. I keep letting you down, but no, I'm, I'm delighted to be on. Thank you very much. It's great to have you. Um, so how have you been getting on uh, during lockdown? I've been OK, um, as, as well as you can be. Um, I've 
I've got four young children, young, I say young, the eldest has just turned 13, so she's going on 25 at the minute. <laughs> um, so I've been being kept busy from them. Um, I did a few of the Palace games, actually. I did a few for Palace TV when, when we was allowed to to actually make take something from the games and allowed in. So, yeah, I did a, a couple of them. Wasn't the greatest of games at the end of last season, to be honest. So, But I enjoyed doing it, um, and now it's kind of getting some kind of normality back it um it's 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 a relief really um the kids are back at school um although I, I, uh, off subject I just got an email saying one of the children had got covid tested positive in my oldest's school so we don't know what's going to happen with that now um and just nobody wants it to go back into full lockdown and and it's just hopefully the world just comes back around and becomes normal again but who knows when that's going to be well, if it's, it's the teenager, you won't mind if she has to self-isolate for about <laughs> three or four months. She does that anyway, to be honest. She does that anyway. Comes straight in on her phone, straight upstairs. But no, it's, it's been good. And I think I briefly mentioned off-air that um, I've got to know the kids a bit, more, a bit more than I did, which sounds strange because we're with them every day. But, the, you know, you wake up, they're off to school, they come, we go to clubs, they do running, football. And you don't even get to talk to them. So we, we enjoyed our, our hours walk every day. Um, a bit of they, they love their running, so they used to come out running with me. Um, I, I couldn't keep up anymore, to be honest, which is a, shows where I'm at. But no, it's uh, like I said, it's, it's a relief to be back in some kind of normality. Um, and hopefully it just continues to, to, to get better as opposed to what's looking like at the moment. It's, it's going to be another wave on the way. Yeah, hopefully. It's, def- it's definitely changed the way that what a lot of us have watched football, the way that we do this podcast. You know, we've all kind of had to evolve a little bit, but um, we're resilient people, Palace fans, you know, and we, and we do, we, we press on. Speaking of pressing on, uh, Darren, I realised as you were talking there, I've not actually told you that at the start of each podcast when we have a, a player on, we like to do a little quiz okay. uh, where we quiz the player on the player. So this is Darren Ambrose quiz on Darren Ambrose. Um, we did this with James MacArthur, I think. We did this with Wardy. I think they both got five out of five, so yeah, no pressure. I'm not, uh, <laughs> I think they'll do a bit better than me, to be honest. I've recently done a quiz on, on TalkSport, and I think I got two out of five about myself, which was awful, so crack right, on. Let's aim for three. Let's aim for three. And, <laughs> let's and go see, for it. We'll see how we Okay, question number one. Um, you played for four managers during your time at Palace, but when you joined in 2009, one of those four was still playing professionally, although not for Palace. Which one? Oh, Dougie. Correct, Dougie Friedman. Uh, number two. That was an easy one, though. Yeah. The, rest are, the rest were about 60 when I joined, I think, so that was quite easy. <laughs> Paul Hart, Paul Hart, George Burley, and uh, Neil Warnock. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Dougie was at South End at that point, was just, ah. just wrapping up at South End. Question two What did Gary Neville say about that goal at Man United? Um. This is easy one actually because I got it on repeat in the living room. So, uh, <laughs> it, it, firstly, firstly he said it's the greatest goal to ever been scored at Old Trafford, which then he changed at half time to say it was the greatest goal achieved by an away player at Old Trafford. <laughs> so someone was probably in his ear and was like, "Do you not remember Rooney's overhead kick or something?" <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yes, we'll come on to that goal later as well because obviously that's an incredible moment. Uh, number three, you scored 37 goals for Palace. This one, I'll caveat, I did the quick maths before and it might be wrong. But anyway, you scored 37 goals for Palace. Which team did you score the most goals against for Palace? Oh, my goodness. Um, Watford. I think Watford, yeah, Watford's it though. Watford's two. There's one team I think you've got four against. Although, again, I'm not a mathematician, so this might be wrong. Oh my goodness! So, yeah, so it's only there's some way you could have checked this, JD. Some kind of, <laughs> some kind of worldwide Big sh- computer shout out, type so- <laughs> shout out to soccerbase.com. It must. Oh goodness! I don't remember who I played against. To be honest, most of them. <laughs> um, no, I give up. No. Okay. Uh, well, I, apparently it's Coventry. Four against Coventry. Oh I've got yeah, here. I did. Yeah, I scored a brace at home. Scored a penalty away, and I don't remember the the last one. So. Yeah. Well, Coventry, I'll go for. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. uh, Three against Derby, apparently, and two against Preston, Blackpool, Villa, Reading. I mean, loads of teams. Um, number four. 
Who did you play more games for, Palace or Charlton? It's, oh, it's very close. Uh, unfortunately, Charlton, I'm going to say. Correct. 128 for Charlton, 124 I say Palace. unfortunately. Obviously, we might come on to that. I, I didn't have a bad time at Charlton. I did enjoy it. Um, I say unfortunately because I'm on the Palace podcast. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it was close. What did you say the games were? It was close. 128 to 124. So yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's a close one. Um, and finally, question number five. And actually, this ties in with the last question. Are you an eagle? <laughs> uh, well, yes, I use the answer to that. Um, I, do, I, do, I do support Tottenham. I did grow up supporting Tottenham, and I do have a soft spot for them. Um, but Palace is a team close to my heart. Everyone knows that. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll go on more about this. Um, but, yeah, in terms of teams, it is Tottenham, but Palace is definitely there for me as well. Darren, before we talk about your time at Palace and managers there, can I ask you about Newcastle? Because I can't imagine a bigger contrast because you went from Sir Bobby Robson as manager to Graham Souness, didn't you? Well, yeah. That must have been quite the, the change. What were they both like? You know what, it was... Um, I loved my time in Newcastle. Um, I went up there, Bobby Robson signed me. Um, unbelievable manager. Probably, well, yeah, he was the best manager I, I played under in my career. Um, and I had a, a bit, a really bit of bad luck, actually, in, in pre-season. I'd already spoken to Sir Bobby. He called me in. He called me and James Milner in. And he said that we are his wide men for the upcoming season. I was going to play on the left. James was going to play on the right. And um, I think it was Kieran Dyer and Jermaine Jennings in the middle. So it was a, it was a good midfield at the time. Um, he said, you are my, my four. And then... Uh, the last game of pre-season, we played Rangers, and I ruptured my medial ligament, and it was just an innocuous challenge, a little, um, you know, a block tackle more than anything, and I think you guys as Palace fans know I'm not the greatest of, of tacklers, to be honest, so I come off worse, and then two, I was out for three months, I think 10 weeks into it, so Bobby got his marching orders, which I was gutted with, you know, it's probably the closest I've been to crying as a player, because... He was the he was the one who brought me in. He was like a, a father figure for me at Newcastle, and then Graham Souness came in, and I didn't know much about him as a, as a manager. I knew he was a, a tough mid, tough midfielder as a player, um, and it kind of just changed straight away. Obviously, I was injured when he came in, and that's never a good start for for a player to be injured, um, and from it was from that moment on, I, I knew my. Um, career at Newcastle was over. Um, still a good guy, a good manager, but I wasn't his type of player. You know, I was more of a, a luxury player. He liked the, I don't know, the Lee Bowyer type player that's really going to get in your face and put on, put in some challenges like he was as a player. And I understood that. I, I accepted that. I um, agreed to join Cholton. I think in a game Aston Villa at home um, when Dyer and Bowyer had a fight. Um, I was sat on the bench. There, we had a few injuries. I think Jermaine Jenis, Lon Robert, they were all injured. Um, so I'm sat on the bench going, come on, get in there. I'm not going to play no one else. There's no one else available. And it, it was true. I'd already agreed to join Charlton. I'd, I'd met Alan Kerbishley and he played me the last six games, I think, soon as. And I scored four goals. He called me in at the end of the season was like, like I, I really like you as a player. You're not going anywhere. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> shit, I've just agreed to join <laughs> to, to join Jolton. So I kind of had to um, not throw me toys at the pram because I was never like that. But I kind of had to say, look, it's only going to take a couple of um, bad games or a couple of players that you like bringing in and I'm back on a bench or back in the reserve. So let me leave. And he did. He agreed, agreed to let me leave. I've got not got a bad word to say about about Sir Bobby. He was incredible as a as a manager and as a human being towards me. And Graham Tunes, he was a good manager, just didn't see eye to eye, just weren't his type of player and, and you get that throughout your career and I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for the world to be honest. And is it is it true on your chart on debut you scored and got sent off? I didn't score, I assisted. I, I oh. <laughs> it was crazy. It was a crazy game. I'd um I just moved down, obviously from Newcastle, and we was up at the Stadium of Light, which um, <laughs> I was getting a lot of stick, as you'd expect. Um, I think Stephen Wright was the fullback, and he was one of these players I played against him before and previous and, and after that, and he was one of those that really 
niggle, give you niggles, you know. He was one of those little pincher and off the boil, give you stand on your feet. And I just lost my head a little bit. Um, but I miscontrolled it and I did. It was a terrible tack. I went over the top. Um, but yeah, I started really well. I put Bent in over the top, Darren Bent over the top. We scored. We went 2 0 up. And, uh, uh, and then that happened. And I had to walk the whole length of the pitch off. And the tunnel was right in the middle. And all the fans were above me. And there was a. There were, there was a few things thrown at me, um, <laughs> a few people spitting and stuff, as yeah. you'd expect. But yeah, it, it and it wasn't nice because I think we had um, we had an international break, two international breaks after that within the three game ban that I got. So I was suspended for a total of I think seven weeks, and it was just the worst start to a, a career at a football club that you could have asked for, to be honest. So going from Charlton to Palace, how did the move to Palace come about? Um, I didn't enjoy my last year at Cholton. I didn't have a great time. Um, who was your manager I, then? It, it was Alan Pardew, who I, right, I loved. Hey, I thought right. he was brilliant. And then he got sacked um, and Phil Parkinson took over, who was the number two. He was the coach. So it's always hard for, for a number two to come in and become the main man, especially when there's senior players. And I, I, I felt I was one of the senior players at the time at Charlton, and he wants to create the the respect from the players, which is is what all managers want. And I was still calling him Parky, you know, as as other players were, which I don't think he liked that. So I went on loan to Ipswich. I, I agreed that I was going to sign there. Said a few bad things in the press to, about Cholton, and then Ipswich sent me back, which <laughs> was probably the most surreal time ever. I think my first game back at Cholton was Norwich away. Um, I scored, we won 1 0. I was buzzing. I'd gone in to see the manager and said, Look, I was on quite a high appearance bonus. And I said, Look, waver it, waver the appearance. I just want to play. I knew I was coming to the end of my contract. The next game I played, he played me against West Brom. He brought me on as a sub, actually. I come on 20 minutes to go. As my name was called, the whole stadium booed. And I was like, wow. <laughs> they, they obviously didn't take the, um, the comments too well, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, then... What, for me, it wasn't so much getting one over on Cholton fans to join Palace. It was, it was probably natural for me. I, was, I lived in Orpington, um, just outside Orpington. So, it was actually closer to Palace and... The day after the season finished, um, I think it was Neil Warnock's son, who was an agent, phoned me up and said, look, we want you to come and sign. This was the day after. They'd already had a contract written out for me. Um, I went to to meet Neil and he basically outlined that I was going to be the main man. I was replacing Ben Watson as, you know, every free kick, penalty, corner taker, like just the main focal point of the team. And that immediately made me say 100% get get me to this football club my my wife was concerned she because I had a, a, a bad last year and it did affect me if I'm honest it affected me um I was getting so much abuse from my home fans and then she said to me do you want to automatically go and start on the negative because you're coming from Cholton and we see a few things on social media as you do and forums and it wasn't I wasn't the greatest Signing according to to the Palace fans, which is understandable. I had a crap year, um, but I was confident. I was confident I could change everyone's opinion of me. And you know, with a manager like Neil Warnock, who was putting a hundred percent faith into me as the main focal point, you know, that just made it easier for me to to make the decision. But were you? I actually think coming from Charlton on a free, and it's the same with the Glenn Murray situation, you, you instantly, I think, elevate yourself a bit as a bit of a legend because Palestine's feel like, oh, we've got one over on Charlton. So I think actually it was the opposite. Did, were you aware of that, that actually you were probably already making yourself popular by just coming from Charlton on a free? You know, I was when I arrived um, and the pre-season games I was. Um, when you're reading stuff, as in my opinion, no player should ever do, but they do, we all do. It's only natural. And when you are, you, you take that as gospel and you take that as 100% opinion. So automatically I'm thinking, well, this is going to be dodgy. I think we played Bromley, I think, one of the first games in, in pre-season. I'm expecting so much grief already. So I'm going out there a bit anxious. Um, but it was the total opposite, like you said. It was basically your king for leaving Cholton. And I kind of played on that. I did, if I'm honest, I, I did play on that in terms of... Um, 
you know, interviews I'd done and who I spoke to about Cholton. I never enjoyed the last year anyway, everyone knows that, but I, I played on that to, to elevate my, myself even more in, in Palace's eyes, which players do as well. You know, you, you listen to any player, it's whatever club they're at, they're the greatest club I've ever played for and the greatest manager, and then they'll leave and then they're the greatest club. It happens. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of tried to utilise that myself and... And and but then it turned out that it it was my favourite club to ever play for, which which was surreal. And yeah, I think I scored two on my debut, more my first start. That helped, you know, that always does, and it gained gained my confidence straight away. And you know, I weren't looking back after that. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's incredible. That season was absolutely incredible. That first season and everything everything that entailed them with the administration and stuff like that. But you were talking about um, Sunes earlier at Newcastle, sort of being a. Uh, maybe a more defensive manager doesn't like the sort of flair players as much I'd have thought that would be the same with Warnock and maybe even Burley and who else did you have Paul Hart maybe Mm. but I mean it wasn't the case he was sort of the focal point for those managers is that unfair of me to assume that they would actually they'd be more defensive and sort of stodgy managers Um, not Darren Ambrose type in terms of Neil Warnock, no, I don't think that's unfair because I felt the same. When I first met him, I, I was speaking to my agent I was confused as to what he wanted me for. Um, and I remember my my first game, um, I think it was Torquay, uh, my first start, Torquay, I tracked a fullback all the way to the byline um, and I slid... Tra- all the way, I mean, mean, Neil Warnock's got a unique voice that everyone knows, and he's screaming at me, and the stadium, being a cup game, wasn't full, so it made me sprint even more, and I'm grabbing hold of this plan, thinking, what, what?" and he's screaming, and then he's called me in at half-time, and he's gone crazy at me, and I'm I'm thinking, what, I've I've done exactly what I'm supposed to do as a wide man, and basically, the, the, the reason was, he didn't want me to track him back. He was screaming at me to stop tracking back and stay up the field, which is where he wanted me. So I was, I was buzzing, to be fair. <laughs> I thought, I'm never tracking back again while he's in charge. Um, but yeah, I was, I, I was confused because I'd gone from Alan Pardew and um, Alan Kirbishley and Phil Parkinson, who was all solely about wide men working up and down, to, to, to this guy, Neil Warnock saying just stay upfield this is this is where we want you this is where we know you can cause more problems um and even Sean Derry come to me and said I don't want you doing that you know Sean Derry is a massive you don't know it but he's a massive part of my career going forward and how I developed into a man as well um but he said I want you to stay upfield where you're wait we know you can't really defend you know you can run back you can do what you you can but I'm the defender here, so if you're if you if, if you let the fullback go, I will get across, or Danzi will get across, or Johnny Oert will get across. You know that's our job. It gives us something to do. And when we win it back, we'll pass it to you in the the part of the pitch that we know you can produce. So after that, it was like a weight was off my mind. This is why I say Neil Warnock and and Sir Bobby Robson are the two players that knew how to utilise me more than any other manager. You know, they're obviously old school and they're very smart in the way they think. Um, so, yeah, I've, I loved playing for, for Warnock. I think Burley, it's a bit unfair on George Burley. I think he was more play out from the back. You know, when I gave my debut at Ipswich and it was play out from the back. But unfortunately, we didn't have the team or personnel to be able to allow us to do that. And it just, from from moment from the first moment he arrived, it just didn't work, which I was gutted about because I really liked him as a manager. Um, but yeah, it was just unfortunate one of those things for him. Darren, can you tell us a bit more about what an influence Sean Derry was on you then? Yeah, just the way he portrayed himself as a as a guy. He was the captain, of course, when I first arrived. Um, and he just took every problem, every issue of the team, of the manager on himself. And he worked... He worked one of the hardest, one of the hardest working guys I knew. You know, he was always in the gym. He was always first in, last out. He was always taking people's problems to the manager, and then he would come in. I mean, a quick story. I don't think I've ever told this story. Paul Hart come in and was going to drop me after my second game. I think he only took you'll probably know twelve or thirteen games at the end of the season. But after two or three, he was going to drop me. And it was only Sean Derry pulled me and said, look, the manager's spoke to me. Um, he doesn't feel you play, you're going to play for him 
as well as you play for Neil Warnock. And I thought, well, you know, I've not been rubbish. Like, I've not been crap. I've just had a couple of average games. Um, and I didn't score in the first three games he arrived. But he said, I have told him, if you drop him, you're going to have uproar from players, from fans, from everyone. And he said, I, I personally, Sean Derry personally told him that this guy will keep us in the division. And he said, so don't let me down. You know, it was one of those, I was crapping myself as you were thinking, oh, I need to start scoring now, you know, because he's put all this faith into me. And he was just one of those guys that he would, he would help the youngsters. He, he, he wouldn't care what age you were. He'd help the youngsters, help the senior pros. And he just demanded everyone give 110%. And he just epitomised everything that Crystal Palace was good at that era. And everyone joined him. You know, the likes of, I don't know, Clint, Butts, Paddy, um, Danzy, Big Alan Lee. Everyone was on that mindset. And for a moment, Dot, when I first arrived... As I was a bit cocksure myself, I'd come from Newcastle, Cholton, played Prem. Um, I knew I've got to stop being this way. I've got to put 100% into training, into matches. I mean, they all wore shin pads in training. That's what kind of guys they were. So immediately I'm putting my shin pads on thinking we're, we're in for a freaking rough ride here. Um, but... I don't know, one of those, all, all of them guys, we stopped once on the way to a game in a park, in a park field. Neil Warnock was the man, no, Paul Hart was the manager and there's puddles, mud everywhere and there was no moaning. Every train, every club I've been at, you'd get the, the superstars, as it were, saying, you're taking the pee here, I'm not getting out and training in the park. These guys were 100%, whatever we do, diving in the mud, that's what we're going to do. If you say... If you, I don't know, if you say freaking swim in the lakes, we're going to do it. You know, so I had to change my whole mindset and become that kind of guy. And I took that on going forward and tried to help the youngsters coming through when I, when I become the, the real senior role. Yeah, I think uh, they wear shin pads in training basically sums up that team absolutely <laughs> perfectly. We've had a few of them on. Derry's been on the pod and Paddy as well. And you just get, there was clearly something special about that group. And I don't know if it was from from Warnock or it changed under Paul Hart or I don't know but there was just something really special about that group of players no egos strong characters desire I mean I guess you just don't get that very often in football do you no you don't and this is exactly it and if I'm honest I, I was an ego when I first arrived um, like I said I, I felt I, I played Champions League for Newcastle you know and I, I felt a bit not that I'm dropping a level but look, immediately it was just nipped in the bud, and they all took to me like like it was like I was a nobody, and that's how you have to be in terms of like there's like you said there's no big egos, and it was to do with Warnock a hundred percent, but the team took it on himself, and I think Paul Hart says it, and I've heard him say it before when he first arrived, he didn't even have to do team talks, and that's true. We would take it on ourselves and know exactly what we expect off one another. Um, I mean, Ed, Edgar David's come in. He didn't last long because he didn't change his mindset. He didn't. He, he was an ego, and so he should be. He was a world superstar, but he didn't last long, and he wouldn't because of that. So I've got. I, I love that group of players. It's the best group I've ever played for. It's why Palace is so close to my heart. We had we had our rows, absolutely. Um, me and Paddy, we rowed all the time. We need had a fight on the pitch against Birmingham away, and he'll tell you the same. But. The love I have for that guy as well now is, 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 is second to none, really. That football club, that, that, that team there was absolutely brilliant. I'd forgotten about Edgar David. I'd literally completely <laughs> forgotten about Edgar David, which yeah. sums up his time. God, that was such a weird... That was a really weird time, wasn't it? Yeah, you know what um, it was as well? A lot of them guys moved on that year, even when Edgar was there. But the, the mindset was still there. So there was certain players that were there that created that mindset for the future players to come in. And it kind of was a, a revolving door that whoever came in, the Butts, Desa, Clint, they, they all left. Alan Lee, they all left. But that mindset was still there. And I look at the team now and I think, you know, it, it's still there. It's not as much. It's not as strong as it was and as strong as it could be. But it is still there. You see even the youngsters that were there back then are trying to create that, that kind of atmosphere around the club. It's 
time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Can I just ask a really quick question before we move on um, about Neil Warnock? Because he comes up time and time again, not just on this podcast with the ex-pros we've had on, on various other football podcasts um, out there. What is so special about Neil Warnock? And I don't mean that as an insult, but it just seems to come up so often. So many players say, oh, my favourite player I've played for, uh, manager i played for is Neil Warnock. Yeah. What is it about him? Uh, he's a he's a one-of-a-kind. He's unique. Um, he, I mean, I... As as we all know, I absolutely loved playing for him. Um, if if it wasn't for Sir Bobby, he would be my all time favourite, and he is up there with Sir Bobby for me. Um, wow, he liked me. You know that that <laughs> that helps. I've seen players that he didn't like as much, and you think, "Oh, I'm glad that ain't me." But he he liked me. Um, he's just for for me personally. He used to call me his son, like, and everyone knew it. They'd be like, "Oh, son of, there's the son of the manager." And I mean, <laughs> quick, quick, quick story. I, I've said it before. I don't know if you guys have heard it, but we had a qualified shropodist come into the um, the training ground, and she'd always look at, uh, over the, the lad's feet, and you'd always put your name on the list. Well, the, Neil Warnock wouldn't let her see me because you probably know it. He's a qualified shropodist, so. Honestly, the stick I still get now. Like he would come in, the lads would be queuing up. He would come in, he'd put his little white coat on, put his glasses on the end of his nose, start snipping my toenails, and and he wouldn't let her touch me. And I'm like, and I tell you what, he was flipping brilliant. He was the best shopperist I've ever had. My feet were stunning after that. But um, the people were like, like Gaffer, can 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 you do mine? And he'd be like. No, piss off. <laughs> I'm only doing Darren's. So he, he really he really did like me and you know, if if he had pizza on the bus, like he'd he'd give me some. He wouldn't give anyone else some. Or if it was raining he'd put my we'd go on walks and I'll be under his umbrella. And the lads used to love it but hate it. But that, that for me, that's why I love him so much and I'm gutted that he didn't have a job coming towards the end of my career because I think he would have re signed me and um, I could have had a, a bit of a longer career than, than I did, to be honest. So I've got I've not got a bad word to say about him. In, in I'm terms not surprised. Of that. And he, <laughs> I know, he, just, he just got the lads the, the, the lads I mentioned there. You know, that's down to him, all of it. And and I think they'll all say the same that he created that mindset for them. And he's just he, I'm buzzing to see him back in a game, to be honest. Although he's mild now, he's mild compared to what he used to be. Do you think? <laughs> I do, bet. do you think if you phoned him up now, he'd come and do your feet? hundred percent, yeah. I've got a charity game going on. He'd come and do them, yeah, for sure. <laughs> he's, he's qualified in everything, isn't he? Qualified ref, chiropodist. He can oh, do he, he liked anything. to say about the ref one, yeah. He liked yeah, to bet. say that. You know what? He, he, some of the team talks, the, the, the Butterfield one, you must have heard that before, but it was just weird. I'd, I'd never seen anything like it. He's turned, he's turned up with playing Wolves. At home, and he's like, right, lads, Sharon, obviously his wife, she had a dream last night. Oh, yeah. And we're like, okay. And he said, she said that my right back is going to score the winning goal. He said, so, Butts, you're playing up front. And we're like, we're, we're in hysterics. And he's, he's dead straight, and we're thinking, no way, like, this is a joke. I can't remember who was right back at the time, and might have been Kleine or someone, and... Um, if we, we were just thinking, okay. So even when it kicked off, we were like, this is a joke, surely. Like, you're going to put him back there in a minute. And then the rest is history. He's got eight-minute hat-trick. And <laughs> honestly, the, the fringe players after that, because Butts weren't really in the team that much, the fringe players after that, every game, were like, Gaffer, has your missus had a dream today? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but he used to do things like that, and it was just outstanding. And it, it seemed to work more often than, than it didn't, to be honest. 
Yeah, I mean, football's full of so many of these characters, and I think you need them as well as fans, as players. We need characters. The game would be so bland if there was yeah. no Neil Warnock. Uh, uh, he, 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 he liked me, but he wouldn't um, mollycoddle me, as it were. He knew that an arm around the shoulder worked better for me than, than some other players. Um, I was sick once, Sheffield United away, I was sick all night the night before. I've come, I've gone on a walk with a physio, I'm struggling, but I've played every game and I'm thinking, I don't want to miss one. He went to Boots in the town in Sheffield and got me some LucasAid tablets. You remember them LucasAid things? And he's like, take them, you'll be fine. I mean, half time he dragged me, he said that didn't work. <laughs> so so he's been shocking. <laughs> so I got dragged at half time. So he, he, he made it known when he didn't like it, but he, he was 100% with us and with me as a player, so he was brilliant. That's amazing. I had those tablets actually before the only ever cup final I ever played in and scored the equaliser off the bench. So, so, they, so yeah, they, they work, work sometimes. For, yeah. They work for some players. They work sometimes. Um, what, um, at what point in the season were you personally, and we've had. Derry on and, and Paddy as well. When things are going wrong with the administration and stuff, at what point were you sort of aware, like, oh, this this could all be an issue? You know what? Not not until it was an actual issue. Like, as, as surprising as that sounds, and I think other people have said it, we were on the plane to Newcastle, and I was, whether the gaffer made that possible, I was sat in front of the gaffer. Um, <laughs> of course. And we landed. Plane, Darren. <laughs> we we landed honestly and my phone beeped and it was the missus saying you've just been deducted points in administration and like i've turned around to the gaffer and said look like we're in a bit of bother he didn't even know obviously he knew something was happening but he didn't know and then you heard ding 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 and all these phones going off and um then we we sat in a meeting when we got to the hotel and it was like yeah it's true we're now, we, we were like seventh in the league. We're now like 20th or 21st. Victor, you're not allowed to play. And we were like, oh my God, because we, we were doing well. If we beat Newcastle, we was going into the playoff position. And I always felt that was my role. That was my aim for Palace, to try and get them in the Prem. And I felt, looking at the squad, we could do it. And we was on the verge. We was on the way. And then we just went on this shocking run after that, whether that was to do with what what had happened I think we lost nine or ten in a row and ended up really struggling and but the team never looked back you know even the team meeting Neil Warnock said I'm looking like I'm gonna have to leave and Victor you can't play other players you might not be able to play and the the players just said look let's do this for the football club because we, we didn't deserve it the, the team that deserved to go down was Sheffield Wednesday you know could by merit we shouldn't have been there and if I, I think about it quite often that what could have been if we hadn't put in administration, potentially we could have been in the Prem earlier than we than we was. But you know, I think that that team there paved the way for for what it was, what it is now. Um, was that hard psychologically going from, as you say, mentally preparing almost for the playoffs or being around there, and then suddenly you're in this this dogfight? That must have just been. I mean, training must have just like changed overnight. Um, it, it was for me, I don't know about any other players, but for me it was because, like I said, my my ambition and the reason I chose Palace, I, I did do a lot of work, I had a few clubs come in for me and I, my aim was less, I think we could, we had a chance and I said it in an interview when I first arrived and got shot down by a few people and, and I felt we've got a chance, so it was... Personally, I think my one and only chance to get back to the Prem, I know I, I left to go Birmingham in the end, it didn't work, but it was my, my chance to get back to the Prem where I, I wanted to be and where I thought I, I was good enough to play. And that just got shot down like that. And, you know, it was hard to take, um, but the players were brilliant. Like we said, I think we left the Newcastle team in, had our own team meeting and basically said, look, nothing's changed. You know, we are still that team that, that are good enough to make playoffs. So let's let's show it. I mean, it didn't work. The last next nine, eight, nine games, I think, we didn't win and it turned into a real dogfight. But there wasn't, we'll probably talk about it, but there's no other team winning that in, in against mm. Sheffield Wednesday. None, no no chance at all. Do, Sean Derry and, and Paddy have spoken to us about that last game at Hillsborough. Darren, it, it sounds like it's almost impossible for them to describe what the atmosphere is like in the dressing room, but it sounds like it was completely unique. Mm. It, it was. It was the the greatest moment in my career. Like I said, I've, I've played high European game. I've got to the semis of the UEFA Cup. 
Got semi-FA Cup twice. Obviously, the Carling Cup for Palace. Nothing compared to that. It was a phenomenal atmosphere. Going up on the train was shocking. Like we had double, we double booked seats, so we were sitting by the toilets, and there was all these like Palace fans all like chilled out in the luxury seats, and we were all, like <laughs> laying on the floor. And but everything just made it made it fueled the fire even more that we ain't losing this like it was like someone done that deliberately that's what we felt someone's done that deliberately to to knock us off our stride um and we always had a great atmosphere in the dressing room always but this was like it was like eerie eerie it was i looked into everyone's eyes and we was not losing i was so confident that and people asked me before, like, was you nervous before you started? We, we arrived, there must have been three or 4,000 Palace fans all singing and the, the best, it was like a cup final. Um, yeah. That's all I can describe it as. And I just looked in everyone's eyes and I just felt that we are never losing this game. And even when we went, obviously it got a bit hectic towards the end, but I was just so confident that that we were, it weren't going to be us that day. You know, we was, people were saying, you must have been like, thinking what what happens to the club if we go down going down never once we never once discussed going down never once discussed relegation and if anyone happened to murmur that they'd have been shot down immediately by everyone because it just weren't happening yeah it did become it became a sort of palace versus rest of the world situation i think with everything with the points deduction sitting on the the floor are you still annoyed at stern john for not because i am i'm still annoyed at him for not squaring it at the end You know what? I, I, not so much annoyed at Stern. Stern's a great guy. Um, I, I know I played with forwards as well. I played with a lot of greedy forwards that they they would all do that. There's very rarely you, you get an Henri that would have squared that, but most forwards would have shot. And if it had gone in, no one had said nothing. But you know what? It was more frustrating because I felt if if I'd have, if it had reversed that and I'd have scored or he'd have scored, um, all the the yobs would have gone home and we could have actually celebrated with the Palace fans, which has always been a disappointment to me that we were, that was cut short from some idiots throwing punches at everyone. And if that, you know, it's like last two minutes, you go, it's totally impossible you're going to back into the game. They all walk out and go and start rows outside the stadium and we'd have been there with all of you guys. And, you know, that that's the more the disappointment. So... But no, nothing was said. Nothing was said to him in the dressing room. Absolutely not. It were, it, we were so happy that we'd just done it. But personally, I was just disappointed that we didn't go 3-2 up and they all pee off and, you know, we can celebrate properly with, with you guys. In the, in, the dressing, in the dressing room afterwards then, was it, was it kind of subdued? Was it party time? Was it just job done? It was definitely party time for for a good 10, 15 hours. Even there's videos out where I'm trying to do... I could not finish my interview. It was ridiculous. And it was such a good feeling that we'd just done it. Um, they, they, I think it was BBC or someone come in. It weren't Sky, but BBC come in and they were just spraying me with water. And, and then it would all stop. And then they'd ask a question. As soon as the questions are, water's in my... F- I just couldn't finish it. It was such a good atmosphere that we just won. But... It went from good atmosphere to, I think, physically, everyone just sighed, like, relief. It was a feeling of relief. The bus journey home was just, again, eerie. Even when we stopped, the fans were going mad in the in the service station. But it was so quiet on the bus that everyone, I think, was just reminiscing and just looking back over what could have been. And it was... I think that was the only time for me where I thought, wow, what if we did lose that game? You know, for up until that game, that never crossed my mind. But after that, it was what, what if, you know, and I think everyone was feeling the same. And we always used to get pizzas and I don't think anyone ate them. It was just everyone, normally people like, you must have cracked on on a bus. And no, we just literally sat there and it was like a silent bus journey home, which was surreal. And is it true that Paul Hart more or less just shook your hand, said thank you and disappeared off into the night? You never saw him again? Yeah. Basically, um, the, I've, the, I've literally seen him after that was the um, the nine-year anniversary, I think. We had the sporting dinner, and that was the first time after that. He came in. The first time he came in, he said, this is what it is, guys. I've been bought in. I don't need to say much. Um, come the end of the season, soon as that last whistle goes, I'm done. 
And then, but because he'd done well, we got obviously he was a catalyst as well for us doing well, and he he kept us up. We all felt well, he's going to give, be given the opportunity. Um, but yeah, shook our hand, said thanks all for your efforts, brilliant, and and then left. Yeah, and then even the end of season do like he done a video from Barbados or wherever he was, which was strange. We just didn't see him again. And like I said, the, the, last, the next time I see him was nine years later, which, which was very, very surreal. It's interesting, Dan, as well, because we've, we've talked about this, Street and I and JD, obviously, when he's not disappearing into the ether. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're a successful, established Premier League football club now. We've had FA Cup final appearances. We, we've had some really good, upbeat moments, but yet... That moment, that potential relegation is probably in the top five moments for all Palace fans over the age of 20. It's, it's strange the sort of mentality of football fans that they remember the adversity and overcoming it. And that that team, it just seems, it's got a special place in all our hearts because every single person we've spoken to from that team says the same thing. They just remember it so well. And yet you'd imagine it'd be the sort of thing that you'd want to put out of the back of your mind and remember the just the good times. Yeah, absolutely, and that's why, again, why I've got so much respect for the team that that were back back in 2010. It it was, it is, it's a catalyst to what what's happening now. Um, and I mean, for me personally, I now work at the club, you know, mm. and as as one of the hosts in the lounges, and you know, to come from Cholton, where I wasn't doing well. And I, I signed for the local rivals and all the uproar for me personally when I signed to now become this this player at the club that's got a job. Like it's just been phenomenal just because we done well back then and everyone you speak to always talks about Chef when obviously they talk about Man United, but they always talk about Chef Wednesday and that season and that team and they always mention what was Derry like, Clint. Yeah. But it's all people like that and you know, to go through your career and not win a trophy which I didn't I got to four semi-finals and I was gutted I never won a trophy but to be remembered for for a certain aspect in your career does mean a lot to be honest and you know I wouldn't have I would have liked uh, I've tweeted this before I'd love to have played in the Prem for Palace I really would but I wouldn't have cha- to change it for the, for that team I wouldn't have done it I'd have preferred that team than to play in the Prem which is a strange thing to say it was just a unique time and my favourite time in my career uh, well, talking about Man United, how many times, honestly, do you reckon you've seen that goal? <laughs> you know what, more, a lot, it is a lot, <laughs> but it's more people showing me, yeah. which, and I have to like stand there and go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like it's the first time I've seen it, <laughs> but I, you know what, it was a weird, it's a weird goal because everyone knew I, I liked to try, I, I scored a few good goals in my career and it didn't. I didn't think it was as good as it was, which is strange. I knew it went in, but then they equalised straight after, and mm. I kind of just you just get on with the game. Um, and it was only after my my phone had, had blew up. Like, it was <laughs> ridiculous. I've never seen my phone. I, I weren't on Twitter or Instagram at the time, but I was trending worldwide. Number one, which <laughs> I think it was one, two, and three because the two was Gary Neville's comments, and and I didn't know what that meant at the time. I was like, well, I don't really know what that means, but. Now I'm on Twitter, I think, flipping hell, yeah, that, that went global, which, again, another thing that you, you don't win trophies, you're not remembered, but I am remembered for that goal from everyone, not, not just Palace fans, every single fan that ever speaks to me. I mean, I'm, I'm working on Talk Sport now, and I get phone calls, and they say the same thing, like, that goal you scored, no matter who they support, it's just, it's, it, it's a proud moment for me, to be honest, to, to have that. Well, do you know what? It's brilliant to have an excuse to watch it again this morning, seven or eight times. Um, but when you go onto YouTube, it's it's in about fourteen different languages down the side. The same goal, but in Russian captions, Chinese captions, which proves that it went global. But the, every time I see it, I don't understand it. It goes the wrong way. It should it should go in the other corner the way you hit it. But it it yeah. just seems to suddenly the ball has a mind of its own with the power and that swerve. Because, I mean, yeah. a couple of, couple of seasons after that, everyone started talking about the swaz that the ball had, but it, mm. it wasn't then. I, I don't know how you did it. Did you deliberately hit it with a certain part of your foot, or was it literally close your eyes, have a swing, see what happens? Um, it was it was, it was kind of deliberate. It's never deliberate to go exactly where you want it and aesthetically look that good as a goal. It's, it's never that deliberate. You always want that. Um, 
a quick story about that. I've, I've, I've said it many times that I weren't, I didn't start that game, and I was fuming. You know, Dougie picked the team. I went to see him. I felt that I had enough to to cause them problems. Um, I understood the reason. He he said, "Look, we're, we're going up. We're we're going to try and counter them with pace, with scans and and, and Wilf and." I think Jermaine Easter was up top. We're going to try and do him with pace, but we're going to sit deep and like take the pressure. But I was gutted. And I, I went out with a bag of balls and I was blasting them at the goal because I was angry. Um, and they were going everywhere. Like We've got a big net behind the goal. We did have at Popers Cope. And they were clearing the net. They were in the trees and I was getting a bit of stick off like, the, the, the guys. And So when I actually got the ball... Well, before I come on, um, I just felt I want to I want to prove to Dougie that I did have enough. Like, so I'm going to shoot. Like, I'm going to try and shoot as many times as I can because I, I always felt if I have three or four shots in a game, one's going to end up in a net. But I didn't realise that it was so far out. It was just natural that the day before I was smashing them from all angles. Um, that it just just seemed natural to just get it, put it on my foot and hit it. And about five minutes prior to that, I picked it up in around the same area and I looked up and the goalkeeper was, he was about seven yards out. So I always felt next time I get it, no matter where, I'm going to try and put that, that dip on the ball because if he's still there, if, he, if that's his positioning, he's going to struggle if, if I hit it right. So yeah, I just got it, put it on my foot and tried to put that bit of swaz on it as as you guys were saying and it just it just perfect it just went perfect and I looked up he wasn't as far out he's about five yards out but I just knew as soon as I hit it I knew it was going in um and it was only, it was only when I watched it back that I thought flipping hell I, I should have passed like I was so far out I should have given it Wilf like he wanted the one two I should have given it him I should have slid Jammer in but I always felt throughout my whole career, and people who played me in the youth team would say, like, I, if, I, if you don't shoot, you're never going to score goals like that. You know, I look at the team now, and James MacArthur, it's very underrated as a player, in my opinion, but just shoot. Luca, they, they get the ball. And I, I feel if I played now in the Prem, I'd score 10, 15 goals a season. Even though, even with no athleticism in me, if if I, I can't keep up with the prem pace now, I always feel that I would get. I, I watch them. I watch these guys. They get it twenty, twenty five yards out, and their first thought is pass it wide or roll it to the fullback. They're never looking to shoot at goal, and it's the one thing. I, it's the one thing that annoys me a little bit about the team. Just get the ball on your foot and shoot because. Luca done it once last season and put it in the top corner. But it's the first time he'd ever looked to shoot. And that was always me as a player. I was always going to just get the ball and shoot. And the, the game before, I think we played QPR at home, I did it a similar distance and I hit Rosette, you know. And I, you get that, that ooh, bit of a growl from the crowd as if what you're doing. But it never fazed me. I was always confident that every now and then you'd hit the target and hopefully it goes in. And it did. It, it, was, it was a special goal for me. It was an amazing goal, absolutely amazing. I've, I can still see it flying in the top corner from from the away end of that night. I actually missed you shooting. I don't, I don't remember you shooting, but I remember it flying right in in the top corner. Um, we had a question from Luke Tyrrell, one of our uh, patrons, who says um, he says no doubt the goal at Old Trafford will deservedly get a mention. But can you ask Darren to talk us through the beauty in front of the homestead against Sheffield United, February 2011? I don't think the camera does it justice. Yeah, I loved that goal. Um... It was it was an instinctive goal. That's what it was. It was, and I seem to, and most players do. You score the best goals when it's instinctive, and you're not even thinking, you know. Because I never deliberately tapped it up with my left foot and volley it in my right. I don't think scans deliberately backheeled it into my path. You know, it just happened. You know, and it was it was a nice moment. Because I'd already relegated Chef Wednesday the year before, and then I'd done the same to Chef United that year. Which I used to get a lot of stick from the Chef Wednesday fans, and the Chef United fans used to love me. And then it was the total opposite after that, which which was brilliant. Now, but we needed we needed the three points in that game. 
you know, we needed it. And I never had an opportunity. And I always, I, I was always confident, I need an opportunity, just give me one. And it was, I made a, a run and um, thankfully everything went right. Just And there was a player right behind me and I had to hit it with kind of no backlift. Um, and again, it just looped in lovely. And um, it was that, that was one of my favourite goals for Palace. Along with another 36, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All of them bangers. Darren, brilliant stories. Thank you so much. Um, let's do a quick break because Palace do have a game this weekend. It's against Brighton, the the the, the uh, El Gatrico, as we call it, not the M23 derby. Um, you've played in this game, so let's do a quick break and come back and preview that after the break. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Back to the Five Year Plan podcast. This week, sponsored by Serenity Massage Therapy, making the world a more comfortable place, one massage at a time. Call or text Russ at Serenity Massage Therapy on 07967203714 or email info at serenity-services.co.uk. Quote FYP and get 25% off for friends and family. Uh, It's preview time. We're playing Brighton at the weekend. Uh, Darren, you've played in this game, obviously. It's going to be weird with no fans there. Obviously, it's the first time there'll be no Palace fans there. Um, and obviously, in, you know, in current work, you're working as a pundit in talk sports. So um, can I get your opinion on two counts? One as a player going into this. How, does, how much does it mean? How much will that be playing on the players' minds? Does it at all? Or do they just turn up as pros and play and as a pundit? How do you see it going? With your Palace hat on, obviously. Yeah, um... You are made aware, you know, of, of derbies. The one that, that, particularly the foreign players coming in, you are, I mean, I, I say it's a derby. It's not a derby, in my opinion. It's a rivalry. You know, we all know what, what's gone on. Um, it's not local. It's a rivalry. And they're only healthy in football. And um, I used to love it. I, I, I loved playing against Brighton. Um, obviously, I, I played in the, the first game that they lost at the Amex, um, scored, uh, cut my ears to the fans, which was brilliant. Um, I was getting a lot of abuse in that game. Uh, but not in the game, I was on the bench. So warming up, I was getting dogs abuse, like stuff that I wouldn't repeat. But, <laughs> you know, when I went on, I thought, make a difference. As you do as sub, make a difference. More so in this game. We was 1-0 down when I come on. Um, then Will scored the goal. And when I scored that, which was an easy goal for me, it was a little tap-in, I picked them out. I knew the group, picked them out, cut me ears, just to get the last laugh, you know. Um, and then, obviously, Mark... Were they silenced, or did you get any pelters back? Oh, no. I think they wanted to kill me, to be honest, by, by their faces. <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh... I actually, um, after that game... Like it was no the security coming and was like, oh, we're gonna have to escort you to the bus and and I was like, what, what, what for? Said, oh, there, there's um a group waiting for you and I've gone out. It's a, it's a group of about four thirteen year olds and I was like, seriously, <laughs> like I'm all right, thank you very much. Um, but no, it, it's it's a game that the players will be aware of, but it is another game. You know, it's another game that. They've they've come they come off the international break. They come off the back of a, a, a poor result against Chelsea, um, and they need to they need to go into this game and and get the three points. But more so, they need to perform perform better than than they did against Chelsea because it was a, a, a poor performance. Um, as a pundit, I, I can I can see Palace winning this. I can. I think these are the games you need to win. Was it Brighton and then Fulham? You know they're potentially six points there, and then that's six games, four wins. That's a phenomenal start in terms of Palace as well, because they don't notoriously don't start very well. Um, so I I can see Palace winning. I already on Talksport we have to do a prediction, and I already predicted Brighton to go down as number twenty. So. There's there's various reasons for that. Obviously, um, I got a lot of stick over it, but. <laughs> 
listen, it's looking like that's possible. So they're, they're, they're a good team, Brighton. I just feel they're not, they're not good enough. To, Palace are so comfortable not having possession. Obviously, against Chelsea they weren't, um, but against Everton they were. Southampton, Man United, they were comfortable with the the twenty mid twenties possession. So Brighton are going to have possession because they're a good footballing team. But we are one of the best countering teams, and I don't think defensively Brighton can cope with that. To be honest, do you think there might be a change in personnel? Maybe see that's why you come in for are you? I don't think so. I think he will continue with the same team. I'd like to see more of Batshuayi. I think he's going to start getting frustrated. Um, you never know what you're going to get with, with Batshuayi. He, he'll either have an unbelievable game, score two or three goals, or he won't have a chance. So you're hoping that the player we've got this time is that one that he's going to score a lot of goals. Um, I want to see Eze play. You know, I think he's a very, very talented, talented young man. Um, Wilf is, is Wilf. Um, it'll be interesting whoever plays against Lamptey, I think. So I think that Roy may set up to stop him. So he may play Schlup down the left because he'll give you more defensive-minded play than, than Eze or, or Wilf. So um, I think he's going to look to to stop that because he is, he is their best player, in my opinion. Um, if we stop that, I don't think they've got a lot else and that we can counter down the other side. I think we are, I can see this being a, quite comfortable, actually. You can come on again. <laughs> Honestly, that's a bit of very popular opinion. <laughs> very popular. And that's the sort of analytical insight that is lacking on this podcast massively when it comes to team life. That's why we normally gloss over the preview because we don't know what we're talking about. Um, so that is great. Darren, um, you've been an absolutely fantastic guest. Thank you so much yeah, well, for, having, you, for coming Thank on. It's been, it's been brilliant. And it, we're lovely to catch up with you again and, and talk more memories uh, at some time. But you've been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, Kevin and Andy, of course it's always good to see your faces as well um, and thanks for listening we're back uh, next week with another podcast post-match pod will be up for the patrons at patreon.com forward slash enjoy the game this weekend everyone hopefully Darren's right and hopefully Pats can get results we'll see you again soon goodbye When it comes to business and meeting travel in Orlando, it's never business as usual. Sure, I could go on for days about all the incredible places to hold your meeting or the innovative industries that will make you feel right at home. But Dr. Michael Edwards of Ocean Insights said it best, Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when work wraps up for the day, the evening is just getting started. I'd love to tell you about all the 46 Michelin-rated restaurants, or the array of outstanding dishes that'll have you coming back again and again. But executive chef Guillaume Rabin of Lake Nona Wave Hotel can sum it up better than me. Orlando has a world of artisans, so you can try incredible cuisines from across the globe. It's so true, and there's so much more. So dive in and see what's happening in Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. Podcast Network.